back. We'll celebrate. They've just got back from the UK uh, with an additional one. So that's great on them. Also, I just wanted to let you know about um, tea and coffee. As you know, those of you who were here uh, last week, there's, and you might have seen it there, there's grass getting planted, everything, so it'll be slightly chaotic, but don't worry, you will have your cappuccinos and uh, other coffee as well. We just might have to do a little single file and then celebrate from there. So uh, I'm doing a one-off this uh, Heroes. I'm really excited uh, about it. We had a great breakaway. And uh, to be honest, if I'm really honest, I thought I would feel a lot more rested after the breakaway than I did. And it was a perfect holiday. It was a brilliant break. We had amazing family times, but I just thought that I would feel more rested from it. And so I started to process and pray about this and think through it more. And I really felt the Lord led me to, to Psalm 23, to do it as a special one for us. And it kind of seems as well that the way that God's been sort of just speaking and ministering together here as well, has really led us uh, into that too. And you see, the thing is, we live in a world that seems to run on adrenaline. And we kind of hold adrenaline and running on adrenaline a bit like a badge that we wear, like I'm just so busy all the time. And we kind of do share it that way. Um, and uh, we sort of live as if that's how we were made to live. We seem rushed, tired, worn out at times. Is anybody say, feel, feel that they're feeling a little bit worn out or rushed or busy now at the moment? A few. Any others? A few are feeling like that. This side, not at all. You guys are rested, went on holiday. Oh, okay, okay, there we go. Thank you. But the rest of you guys are just telling stories. And we'll all chat to them after the service to find out how to live the perfectly calm, rested life. But... But anyway, I do get the sense of people also, so we go on holiday, but we don't necessarily truly rest. We have resources and new purchases, but they don't necessarily satisfy us to the extent that we think that they should, um, and we don't really have the time to enjoy them that we would like either. It's not how we were created to live, and there is a different way to live. And so as I've been processing this personally and processing this for us as well, because if I'm honest, in the northern suburbs of Harare, we do wear the badge of busyness honor with boldness. And, and if we're not racing around for kids' activities, if we're not dashing on a holiday trip, if business isn't expanding, if we aren't trying to fight fires or grow and expand, we kind of feel like there's something wrong with us, um, most of us. Some of us have learned to live the slightly more relaxed life. But I felt led to preach on Psalm 23. And maybe you are new to church. Maybe you have been in church many times before. If you were a St. John's old boy, um, as I was, you would have heard Psalm 23 and had to recite it most weeks. You know the hymn off by heart. Then you go to the college and you know the same. It's what the school was founded on was this passage. But, um, and that's whether you're Christ follower or not. But uh, maybe you haven't really dived deeply into it. And so we're going to look at that. A famous hymn, a passage of scripture, Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn there. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, download one, get one at the back uh, as well. It's often titled, The Lord is My Shepherd. And a psalm really refers to a song or a poem. And actually the roots of it in Greek, uh, in Hebrew, come from the word to pluck. And so the instruments, the string instruments that people would often sing with or do poetry to, that's really the root of a psalm. It's, it's, it's a plucking sound that comes uh, from that. And so this hymn is often known as a psalm of confidence in the Lord's care. David, who wrote it, he wrote it as a, as a psalm to bring confidence in God's care and his plan for our lives, which is, which is something for people in the storm that we prayed for today. 
uh, this I trust will really bring you great encouragement. And so there's two key aspects of the relationship between God and us that we're going to see today as we look at it. One is of God being our shepherd and us being sheep. And the other of God being a host at a dinner party and us being his special invited guests. So we're going to look at that today. And he wants to be both our host and our shepherd. The question is whether we'll allow him to be that and whether we will worship him as that. And so for some context, this was written by a man called King David. He was the one, some of you may have heard of the story of David and Goliath. He was the shepherd boy who slayed the, the sort of giant warrior that the rest of Israel was too scared to go against. Um, but he lived his life tending the family herd. His dad was a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy as well. And so in the era where he was a shepherd, we'll look at this later, it was sort of desert land, Middle East area. They'd have to look quite hard to find pastures, to find water sources, but quite a rugged landscape. And so he understood what it meant to look after sheep, to protect them from predators, to protect them from injury, falling down the slopes. Uh, And this led uh, to lead them to pasture, to lead them to water sources. And so over time, God spoke to him about this and about actually this isn't just you tending the sheep well it is but actually I want to show you more about this there's something about me and my nature and my character and so he he wrote he wrote our poetry and one of the poems he wrote was this about uh, his experiences and and just on that the experiences that we go through in life there's always something that God is teaching us through them there's nothing that happens randomly when it comes to God And when it comes to the life in which we lead. And so whether we understand what we've been through or not, whether it's been a great experience or not, it's definitely really helpful for us to take a step back and say, actually, whether you know God or not, God, are you speaking to me today? Are you speaking to me in this situation? What are you trying to say to me? What picture are you giving me of yourself? So always ask me those questions. But let's dive in. So it starts off and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you see I did the green and the white there as well, eh? Pastures. You see that white for sheep? Just so you know, I'm very creative in those sorts of things. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now the Lord refers to God's person and character. And as the word slotted in for what was Yahweh for the Hebrew people, that they weren't actually allowed to say out loud because God was considered so holy. They actually abbreviated it um, and took out the vowels. So it couldn't really be said as it usually would. But the Lord refers to Yahweh in many ways. It represents the most sacred name for God in Hebrew. And so this describes God. David wants to start out and he wants to say at the outset, life begins with him, not with us. Our perspective on the world and how we think about the world, it starts with being outward looking, not with being inward looking. That's how we gain perspective on the world. And so if you're living here in in life, to be honest, before you walk through the doors of of, of church has been about yourself or even as a Christ follower it's maybe a little bit inwardly focused and it's about me focused the start of this and David's heart is actually it starts with the Lord it starts with him he is the center of the story not us he rules and reigns supreme he created this world with the words that he spoke we see in Genesis if we go back there he had the power to raise Jesus from the dead which we sung about and as a result to save us from our sins. And this is who we come to worship. This is the one who rules and reigns. And this is who I'd love us to explore more about, to explore about him if you don't know him today. If you know him, to maybe just see him afresh for the greatness that he has. Not, uh, not a slot machine who does what we want when we want. Not the one who just, when we suddenly need him, we start to pray more. Uh, when we suddenly are in a crisis, we suddenly turn to him. No, he's the one who deserves it all the time. And deserves uh, our, our gratitude and our focus all of the time. So the Lord, 
And David says, but he's my shepherd. And a shepherd looks primarily after sheep, occasionally some goats. But I find the link between us being sheep in many of the stories in scripture so interesting and actually humbling, particularly because sheep are not usually the smartest of animals. So uh, when we're used in this story and this picture, um, it would have been better to talk about goats because they're usually cleverer or other animals. But whenever we're classed as sheep, um, there's something great about a shepherd and a sheep, but also we do need to understand that sheep aren't often the sharpest tools in the shed. I remember as a young teenager being on a farm with friends where the, the staff on the farm had accidentally put out too much food for them in the pen. And these sheep just ate and ate and ate. And when we got to them, they were lying on their backs with their feet up and their stomachs like twice the size they should have. Some had already died. We got in there with the, those stomach pump things and shoved them into the stomachs. I mean, for a non-farmer city boy from Harari, this was terrifying. I mean, they thought it was normal, but I just thought it was horrific. Um, and it stank and everything else. Some of them came back, you know, came, came back from the brink of death. Um, but, but that's just what they did. That's what the sheep did. They just ate and ate and ate. And I'm feeling full and I can hardly walk and I'm feeling sick, but, but I'm just gonna keep going. You know, they just don't know when to stop. And there's also phrases about sheep, like the black sheep of the family. You know, doesn't it strike you that it could have just been like the black eagle of the family, you know, or something cooler like that, or like, I, I, I don't know, the black panther of the family. But no, the black sheep of the family is the one who isn't that great, right? The one who's kind of the weird one. And again, like sheep find their way into it. Um, it could have been, as I said, the black cat, the black cow. And then what about a wolf in sheep's clothing? You know, fable where a wolf puts on sheep clothes to blend in. And the story is that these sheep just don't get that this guy is dressed up and isn't one of them. They're just not very clever. Um, and so um, God loves us and the shepherd loves his sheep. That's why he looks after them. But the sheep often need the help of the shepherd because they can't do life on their own. Are there any settlers of Catan fans here? Any settlers of Catan? A few brave ones. At the back, nice, Nate. The rest of you guys, you've also missed out on life. So do yourselves a favor, buy it. Even just play it on your phone if you have to. But it's this great strategy board game. And the best thing about it is, is it finishes quickly. I used to hate um, Monopoly and Risk and those ones that just went on and on. And then you'd pass things under the table to, like, to, to help your brother or sister last longer, to take out your parents. I mean, all those sorts of things you would do. None of you guys would, but we would. Um, so those who know it, you will know that the most pointless resource card in Settlers of Catan is the sheep pasture card. They could have chosen it to be the gold or the, I mean the, the iron ore, it could have been the forest, it could have been bricks, but no, it's like the sheep, the wool, that's the most pointless card. And you kind of have to have it to build something, but you just never really want it. You know, it's just, you'd rather anything else. And again, the sheep just find their way into being the most useless in every situation. Alexander the Great's once said, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep, but I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Again, the sheep just aren't the leaders, are they? They're the followers in society. So I mean, there's just, I could go on and on, but I, I'll actually get to more of the scripture. But anyway, the bottom line is the sheep need a lot of looking after. They get frightened and confused quickly. They aren't naturally brave and courageous. They generally want to stick together and go with the flow. If someone goes somewhere, the other, you know, goes there. If they do try to make it on their own, they usually end up in disaster. There's not many sheep that, that go out on their own from the herd and just thrive. Just doesn't usually happen for them. The list could go on, but I think it sums it up when it comes to how we live and relate to God. But David calls God his shepherd. 
the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that he's not just a shepherd who cares for them for his own reasons, but he loves his sheep. People who look after flocks or herds, or if you speak to cattlemen sometimes, if you speak to some game rangers, I mean, they love those animals almost more than people. And uh, so when it talks of God as a shepherd of the sheep, it, it just, he loves us. He truly cares for us. He provides for us just as a shepherd arranges nourishment for his flock. A shepherd guides to the safest and most productive place to be. And so does the Lord do that for us. A shepherd protects the sheep from attacks. That's what God does, especially the greatest battle of sin, which we'll hear about in a little bit more. So it's such a special picture, actually, of God's love and care for us. And as a result, if we see God as our shepherd, if we know he cares for us, as a, as a shepherd cares for his sheep, the end result is, it says there, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, interestingly enough, the true definition, at least there in scripture, of want is the lack of what we need. Now, we've sort of changed that definition because we just want everything. We've got insatiable desires for more and more and more, but the definition of it is to have everything that we need. We often want many things in life that we don't need, but when it comes to God, the good shepherd, he will always give us what we need. Sadly, often, we're kind of like those sheep on that farm that I went to that time who just eat and eat and eat. They want more and more, more status, more success, more cars, more holidays, more stock pantries, more gadgets. We gorge ourselves, but we're never really satisfied. It's like we drink of Coke and coffee more and more and more, but we forget that water is the only thing that's actually going to satisfy our thirst. But we do that, and we do that all the time in our lives. We forget to realize that actually, for probably everybody in the room here, we're in the top 1% globally wealth-wise, at least in the top 5% if you think you're struggling here now. I think if you have access to a vehicle, if you have a roof over your head, if you own a cell phone, I mean, the list goes on, it's like top 5%. So we have everything that we need. The Father's given us everything that we need, but often we just have wants that we think are needs. The good shepherd will give you all that you need. Trust him, enjoy him, but don't look for joy and contentment in things other than him. Those are just the overflows of his blessing. But if you want contentment, if you want joy, if you want your needs satisfied, it's him. And the rest is overflow on top of that. Matthew 6 says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all the rest will be given to you. If you make the shepherd as the priority of your life, he will always look after his sheep. Make him priority, he looks after his sheep. It says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink in Matthew 6, it carries on. Your heavenly father, the good shepherd, knows what you need and he'll give it all to you. And I trust even as we were praying, you experienced a bit of that for those of you feeling like you're in a storm. Then it goes on, verse two. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I want you to think about the picture of green pastures and still waters. I know for me, uh, one of the pictures, Sarah always says I mention it, but when we drive to Bulawayo, just as you go out of Gweru, for those of you who still drive to that side of the world, um, you, as you head out from there, um, you head into these beautiful sort of like grasslands. And at the base of two of them, there's these amazing oases, a river and oasis, which you often see cattle at. And for me, it's like such a, a picture of pastures and the rivers next to it. But those who have farms or, or people farming, you'll, you'll have more of those. But the picture is of beautiful fields next to a calm river or a dam. And so think of that. If you've experienced it, think about that. Think about the sensation, uh, maybe a picnic out there under a big tree. Uh, we've got some great food, but 
they, you're sort of preserved from the heat of the day, but it's just a sense of relaxation. Uh, your kids are running and diving on that soft grass. Um, maybe with those of you who played rugby, it would be thinking of the Loma Gandhi first team field. Um, I think of all the school fields, I kind of wanted to get tackled on that field. Um, you know, the others, there were some terrible ones that you just definitely didn't want to land on. But I always found for some reason, it wasn't that Loma Gunny was the greatest at rugby, but they loved that first team field. And uh, you, yeah, you definitely kind of wanted to get tackled because it felt like great to fall on. It was like this perfect pasture land. Um, so those of you at Loma Gunny know what I'm talking about. But that's what he's talking about when he's talking about great pastures for the sheep and waters running by. And the, past, the pasture and the still waters are the ultimate picture of calm and rest, of great food if you're a sheep, a source of refreshing water, the place that you and I want to live, a place of contentment, a place of purpose, a place of peace. And this is where the good shepherd leads us. That's where he's trying to lead us to in our emotions, in our spirits, in our everyday life. He's trying to lead us to a place of good pasture, of refreshing, of soul restoring if we will listen. The Hebrew for still waters actually literally means waters of rest. I love that. Leads us to great pastures and then waters of rest. That's what he wants to bring to your life and mine. Not the racing, not the anxiety, not the what's tomorrow going to be like, not the struggling to sleep, but the rest in the midst of how we're living. See, he's the restorer of our soul. And as I mentioned earlier, we can live as though we have it all and yet in the deep recesses of our soul, maybe even in the parts of our soul that nobody else sees, we're thirsty. We're parched and we're dry. But we're trying to fill that thirst with everything other than the still waters of rest that only he can provide. We have to take ourselves back to that place. Our souls feel like they're parched. Maybe we're busy, but we're never satisfied. We're always upgrading, but we're never content. As I shared earlier, on holiday, but not rested. But Jesus can restore your soul and mine. So if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling thirsty, if you're feeling a little bit parched in the soul, he's the restorer here today. And as I said, you can have everything on the outside. You really can. But the inside is dry and it's thirsty. And so listen to that. If you're feeling dry and thirsty, listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. In his presence, we will find joy, we'll find rest, and he wants to lead us to the pastures. So we'll pray for that a little bit afterwards. What else does he do? It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that paths of righteousness, the other translation would say, in right paths. So in the right way to go, the right way to live. So he leads us down the right way to live. He leads us in the right life direction. Don't think that life will be full, satisfied, and healthy if we ignore the path and the direction that Jesus maps out in his word. We can't expect that. He leads us in the path of life. He's the shepherd who knows. He leads us towards pastures and towards waters of rest. And if we say, uh, actually, God, I'm going to go this way, we're not going to find that. We won't find it if we go along the wrong path. And so often we can do that. We can search out that path of life, but in the wrong ways, we'll never, ever find it. We won't. As you take the right path, life might not get easier, but it will get peaceful, it'll get purposeful, and it will get powerful. You have a strength and a courage in it. Peaceful, purposeful, powerful. But notice how it says path. And in scripture, Jesus compared following him to a narrow path and ignoring him to a wide road. Some of you may have heard of that story before where Jesus said, the narrow path, the windy path, that leads to life. But the wide highway, the open highway that many are tracking down leads to death and 
destruction. And so stick to the path, even if it's different to the crowd. Even if it looks like the hard way at, at, at the outset. And it looks like it's way easier to go the other direction. Stick to the path. There's a passage when it talks about Moses. Some of you may know him leading the Israelite people out of Egypt. There were plagues and those sorts of things. There's a passage in Hebrews that speaks about Moses. And it says, Moses preferred to get mistreated with the Israelite people than experience the fleeting pleasures of the Egyptians. Fleeting pleasures. It's such an interesting phrase in the, in, in the Bible. And what it's saying is there's pleasure in going the wrong direction. There's pleasure. There's short-term pleasure in following not God's path, the wide road. But it's fleeting, so it ends quickly, and it doesn't lead to life. But it looks attractive. It really does. That's the passage. The path can sometimes not look as attractive, but it leads you to the pasture, and it leads you to the water. The grass may look greener until, until you fall off the edge of the cliff. He will lead you to green pastures and calm waters. Trust him. Don't wander off the trail of God's direction. He has your best in order. And I love that little part there where it says, for his name's sake. See, God says things, and because he's trustworthy, it happens. When we do it, it happens. Otherwise, he wouldn't be trustworthy. And so he leads us in these paths of righteousness to great pastures. And why does he do it? Because that's his name. His name is on the line. And so his words are proved true as we follow his ways. I've yet to see someone who has said, I'm going to follow the good shepherd with all of my heart to come to me and say, I regret it. They might not say life is easy. They might say it's been tough. I haven't been taken out of the difficulties. I've lived through the trials. It hasn't been easy. But I've never spoken to one who's lived for, for the good shepherd for years and years, who's come to me and said, no, nah, I don't want it anymore. I'd rather go on the wide road. Because we can take him at his word. We can truly take him at his word. He's truth, he's love, he's wise, and he is life. That's what his name represents. We can place our life in his strong hands. As I said, it doesn't mean it's going to get easy. Is there blessing? Yes. Is he good? Yes. Does he say he'll take us away from all the hard things? No. He will pull us through though. He will lead us through the storm. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That word, the, the shadow of death, can also be translated the valley of deep darkness. The areas where David would have been a shepherd were desert-like. I shared that, the Middle East. And so actually for him, there would have been many valleys, many sort of caves, many cliff faces, many places where he wouldn't have known whether there's bandits hiding around the corner, whether there is a dangerous animal like hiding in a cave, whether there's a flash flood coming down the valley. There were many things in those valleys and looking after sheep that he wouldn't have been able to know. There would have been like a bit of a valley of darkness or, or in a shadow time. There was much opportunity for wild animals or bandits to, in hiding, to attack. How does this apply to us? It means that we live in a world of brokenness and decay. There's evil all around. There's evil crouching at the door. There's circumstances beyond our control. There's tragedies that, that, that we face and we ask these questions of why. Sickness arrives on the scene. Loss of jobs, loss of employment. These things happen in our lives. But there's also the darkness of the soul, I think. There's the depression. There's the anxiety where it feels like we aren't dying physically, but maybe for some of you even here today, it feels like we're kind of dying spiritually or we're dying emotionally. We're dying, uh, we're, we're dying mentally. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's, it feels like we're walking in the valley of shadow of death. There's, there's darkness all around us. 
parts of our lives are dying or dead. Like that's happened to many. It might be happening to some of you now. We'll pray at the end. But even in those places of our lives, even when it seems that disaster is looming or is about to overtake us, God is there. It says we shall fear no evil. What does David say are the reasons? This is so interesting. He's talking about the shepherd and the sheep. Two reasons, the rod and the staff. And those represent strength to fight off enemies. The rod, that would have been to beat away, um, you know, bears or whatever else. David had a slingshot as well. But the rod to fight away enemies shows the strength of God to fight for us, to fight in the battles that we're facing, that we rely on him to fight our battles. We don't try and do it on our own. And the second one, the staff, would have had this sort of um, loop shape on it, the kind of bow peep staff. And that would have been to like the sheep is about to go off the edge of a cliff. Hey, wait, 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 come back to safety. Would have been the sheep that's about to drown in the too deep water. Quickly pull it back um, and uh, heading off in the wrong direction, getting it back onto the path. So that's one of direction. That's one of leadership. That's one of the shepherd wanting to make sure we're going on the path that we're supposed to be going on. And so it's him rescuing us. It's him restoring us. It's him giving us a way out. Even when we've made bad decisions, it's him saying, actually, you've made a bad decision, but here, here's the way. Let me help you. Let me pull you back onto the right path. That's God's heart for us. He's this father who wants to see us thrive. So God is strong to pull you through what you're facing now. And he's also wise to get you back on track where you've made a wrong decision. And Dave spoke last week about Jesus walking on water. The disciples were bailing water out of a boat, those of you who were here. Um, and there was sort of a semi-storm where they were. And then there's Jesus who just decides that he's going to walk across. Why get in the boat with my disciples when I can just walk on the water? So he's strapping across the water. And they see him walking. He wasn't even going to stop. This is what I love in that story. I don't know if Dave mentioned those of you have. But Jesus was like going to go to the other side. And then suddenly the disciples see him. They're like, oh, Jesus. I just love this picture that he's like, hey guys, it's fine. I'll see you later. And they were like, oh no, we need you. Um, And of course they were going to be fine anyway because he was going to see them on the other side. But what I love in that story, again, is that they turn to him. They see him in the midst of the storm. What does he do? He's walking on water. He's supernatural. He pulls them through it. That's what he does. That's what he does when he's fighting off our enemies, when he's pulling us in the right direction. There's nothing to fear. He's the great shepherd who cares for us and he's close. And friends, he's already defeated the ultimate enemy. When we talk about the rod and the staff, we talk about the rod fighting off enemies. There's an ultimate enemy, which is the darkness of sin. That's the great darkness. That's the great valley of the shadow of darkness, because that's an eternal darkness. And people who choose to not follow Jesus walk the eternal valley of darkness, which is hell. But he's defeated that. He smashed the enemy on the cross. And so each of us have an opportunity to receive that, to believe that to experience life beyond the grave, to become a sheep of the shepherd. Because if you don't know Jesus here today, you're not one of the sheep yet. But when the minute you decide, Jesus, I actually need you to lead my life, you become part of the flock. And he's leading you and he's directing you. And if you honor Christ follow you here today, he's calling you. He's saying, come join the flock. Come and join me today. We'll pray for you afterwards. But if you're feeling that you're in the valley right now, Maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's fear, sickness, sin, broken relationships, bad life decisions, you're back against the wall. Just know that he's fighting for you and he's showing you a way out. He's pulling you in the right direction onto the path. You can place your strength and your rest in him. Final bit, just got a few minutes and we'll pray. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so this is looking at God as the host of the meal. 
starts looking at him as welcoming us to this great dinner party. And Jesus did this on earth. Jesus got accused. Jesus never got drunk, and I don't think he ever overate. But he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because that's who he hung out with. He loved to host dinner parties. He loved to have people around of all walks of life, usually those who were getting drunk all the time. He was hanging out with, and he was having great conversations with them. One day there's going to be a great banquet feast as well in heaven. And there's probably going to be many others as well. But there's going to be one great feast when he returns. And so this fits the picture of God's heart to celebrate with us his generous nature, his enjoyment of just being with us. God loves to be with us. He loves to hang out with us, to have us in his room as it were. And so he prepares this table. Again, that shows that he gives us all that we need. He's the provider ultimately and not us. Some of us might feel the credit's kind of a little bit due us. You know, but, I, but I've worked hard for what I have. You know, I've, I've got a great brain and I've given blood, sweat and tears. And so my money's my money and my, my homes are my home and my vehicles are mine. And, and it's me. You know, yes, there's God on the side, but, but it's all me. We might feel that. But actually, none of it's ours. We didn't choose when we'd be born. We didn't choose who our parents would be. We didn't choose the brains that we have, the situations, the opportunities we've given. He opened that all to us because he's the provider. He loves to provide for us. What does it mean in the presence of my enemies? I believe two explanations. I love this. The first one is I think this picture of having a feast in the presence of enemies talks about the feast when Jesus returns. So this is the banquet when Satan and his demons in many ways have to stand, maybe just before they're cast into hell forever, and they kind of watch the celebratory feast of the victory. Of, of, of God having destroyed sin once and for all, having, having defeated darkness once and for all. And they kind of are these bystanders about to be cast out looking at this great feast. That's one of them. That's one example that we can look at, um, celebrating that victory. Secondly, I be, believe this gives the picture of how we can enjoy God's presence, his friendship, his love, his provision in the midst of brokenness in our lives in the midst of brokenness all around, in the midst of economic crisis, looming elections, what's going to happen, sickness, tragedy, there's a joy and celebration in the presence of Jesus, in the midst of all of that. Uh, Debbie Myberg, some of you will know, uh, we loved her a bit, she's with Jesus now, um, Paul and M. Myberg, uh, Paul, one of her kids and others here as well, uh, she went to be with Jesus earlier this year, um, she um, had fought cancer, and in the few times that I saw Debbie, before she died. There's a few things that I noticed. And obviously she had, she had some drugs on, but she was, she was sort of in a bit of pain, but uh, she, she kind of knew the end was close. And on the last time that she and I got to see her, she was talking about the birds singing outside. And she, she was just like, it's beautiful. It's like, I haven't stopped to hear their song very much. And I'm just loving it. And she had been eating fruit because um, towards the end, often fruit is like that. And she was just like, the taste of this fruit is like otherworldly. She was just saying, it's like the most beautiful thing I've tasted. And we were saying to her, well, you're experiencing a tiny, a tiny picture of the joy and celebration of heaven. But it was like she was sitting at the table with Jesus in the presence of her enemy cancer for her. It'll be different things for other people. But she was celebrating and living in joy in the midst of it. She was celebrating Jesus in the midst of it. And I know for each of us, there is a place at Jesus' table when we don't think there could be joy, when we don't think there could be celebration, when we don't think that there could be satisfaction and peace, there is. And it can be in the midst of circumstances that are absolutely opposite. But we find that in his presence. It's beautiful. It's 
why you have Paul and Silas, other heroes from Scripture, singing in prison as followers of Jesus. You and I can spiritually thrive whilst in physical and emotional difficulty. We can. Anointing with oil. This was an ancient custom of hospitality towards honored guests. You know, some of you just need to know today that Jesus really wants to hang out with you. He really does. He really loves you. We can have this picture that he's just kind of waiting to give us a clap. You know, like he, he likes us, but the minute we're out of line, just, you know, he's waiting there. No, no, no. He is the most forgiving and the most releasing God you will ever come across. So he is the one when we mess up and we cower away and kind of feel like we can't really pray to God because we've sinned or whatever else it is. He's the one saying, no, come back, come back. And we're the ones who stay away. And he's like, no, please come, come. I accept you as you are. Come. That's him. He anoints us. He says, you're welcome on my table anytime. Do I want you to sin? No. Does it hurt me? Yes. Do I want you with me always? Yes. Come, pull in. That's the God that we serve. It's amazing. His heart of love and forgiveness are greater than any mess that you and I have made. He wants to draw close. He never stops pursuing or inviting. He loves you. So today, no matter what you've done in the past, come to his table. Come to him today. He wants you there. Sorry, last two. I'm a few minutes over. My cup overflows. That's a beautiful symbol of abundance. No shortage of food, drink available. He doesn't just provide for us, but he does it abundantly. He does it, he's lavishly generous. He pours it out more than we could ask or imagine. We've seen and experienced this personally as a family. Um, in fact, somebody gave us a gift a few days ago. Um, they, they called us and stuff like this. I mean, it has brought us the most radical joy over the last two days. It really has. I'll tell you more about it later when we have time. But it's truly touched our hearts. It was like this overflow from somebody and, um, and, and we've just, we've just like been bouncing around with joy and our kids have as well. The, the most amazing extravagant gift. And we've just sat there going, God, that's just a picture of your nature. That's just what you do. That's just, that's just who you are to us and how you want us to be to other people as well. So special. Last bit, we'll close and we'll pray with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the wonderful promise of God. That surely can also be translated as only. And goodness and mercy, that means his steadfast love. That's what goodness means, his steadfast love. And mercy is the overflow of his forgiveness and his care and compassion towards us. So we have this picture of the Lord who's our shepherd, continually pouring out himself towards us, regardless of our behavior, our faults, our failures, our inconsistency. We experience the constant love of Christ as well as mercy for our brokenness not receiving the punishment we deserve. And at the end there, I love where it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever or for the end of my everlasting day. So never ending as we get to experience from the shepherd and from the host. Should we stand? We'll pray. And I've got a few minutes over, but maybe just with your eyes closed, you know, if you're uh, exploring faith today and you've been sitting here going, I just don't exactly know what's happening, but my heart's racing a little bit. Uh, I don't even really know God, but I, this has kind of made sense to me. I, I really just know that I need him. I want to be one of his sheep. I want to follow the, the good shepherd's path. I want to be welcome at his table. I want my sins forgiven. I want you to know that you can today. It's as much as calling on his name, saying, Lord Jesus, I believe. Would you come into my heart? Would you save me from my sin? Would, I, would, you, would you make me a new creation? I want to live with you for now and for all eternity. And in that moment, he'll change you. 
right now, in this moment. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to regurgitate any words. Just, I believe in your heart. If you do that today, you become one of his sheep. And you'll know, you'll feel it. Suddenly you'll want to follow him. Suddenly you'll want to be on his path. Suddenly you'll want to be at church. You'll want to get stuck in. You'll want to serve. And you'll go, this wasn't me before, but it is me now. Why? Because he's made you a new creation. It's what he does. And so you can turn to him today. For the rest of us, Lord Jesus, I pray that in abounding measures and increasing measures, we would see you as the good shepherd, the one who loves us, the one who leads us, the one who um, fights for us, the one who um, puts us on a different path when we're going on the wrong one, the one who provides for us, the one who welcomes us at his table, the one who pours out constant, consistent love, goodness, the definition of goodness, who pours out mercy and forgiveness and care over our lives now and for all eternity. Thank you that you are the good shepherd and you're the best party host ever. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.